Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. You know, we're looking at this series called um, Address the Mess. And uh, the reality is there's mess in all of our lives. And that's what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. And, and the kind of title for today might seem a little bit bad news because it's the mess we won't address. It feels a little bit negative. It feels a little bit bad news. Now, listen, I have got bad news for you today, but I have got good news for you as well. So a little bit of a show of hands here in the room and in our locations. How many of you would prefer the bad news first and then the good news? Let me see your hand. The bad news and the good news. Let me see your hand in Hagley, in Bromsgrove, in Rowley, in Clibbery. Okay, how many of you would prefer the good news first and then the bad Okay, a little bit the other way, really. You want the bad, well, I'm t- I don't know why I asked you that because I'm going to do what I want to do anyway, basically. But it was a little bit of engagement. I'm going to give you the good news, then the bad news, and then some more good news. Is that all right? So it's like a good news, bad news sandwich today. Before we do that, before we do that, single ladies, you're on a date with a guy, first date, and it's going all right. Can I just say, just before I get into that, it just made me think about a friend of mine that I used to have years ago who was really desperate to get married, settle down, and have kids. On his first date, on the first date with a woman, his first question was over the meal t- table, how many kids do you want? <laughs> Not a great question, male or female, okay, on your first date. So I want you to imagine, ladies, that you've got this guy on your first date and you ask him this question, you say, so what is it that you want out of life? What are like your goals in life? And this is what he says to you, well... Number one, I don't want to lose that job again. Number two, I don't want to get caught drunk driving again. Number three, I don't want to break a girl's heart again. How do you respond to those answers to that question? Not great. It's not great, is it? Imagine if you're a dad and and your daughter brings a guy home and you talk to him about what do you want out of life and he tells you those three things. It's not great, is it? You see, there must be more to life than just getting out of a mess. Now, I'm not judging the guy Why am I not judging the guy? Well, what we learned in week one, I know a mess when I see one because I am one. Remember, we've been talking about that. Whenever we meet someone and we think, what a mess, we say to ourselves, I know a mess when I see one because I am one. But life has got to be about more than staying out of a mess. And faith in God has got to be more than asking God to get us out of a mess. And whether you have faith or not today, you know deep down the life is way more, more than, it's something way grander and more meaningful than just keeping out of a mess. And there is, isn't there? And we looked at this big idea week one as well. The mess that brings us together is the mess that brought God near. God, the truth about God and mess is this, that God loves us as we are with our mess, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. Loves us too much to leave us that way. And here we come to the good news that I'm going to kick off today. And this is the good news. The mess in our life is the mess God wants to transform. I love what Sarah said. I'm going to write a story, even in this mess, even in a hospital room, in a situation. I'm going to write something of a story. I'm going to transform the mess that is in our lives. 
And as we've said, this is a series that uh, Andy Stanley and North Point have, have given to the world and we're a partner of North Point, so they give us this stuff and some of this material is his. First part is his, the second part is, is all mine, okay? The bad news is my bit. The good news is his bit. The bad news is, is my bit today. Um, but I want to open up by giving you some of the good news. And, and this has already been sung about and Sarah has already shared this exactly. The phrase that Sarah said when she shared that with you is exactly the phrase I want to bring today. And it starts in, in a, a little letter that a guy called Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, uh, wrote to a church at a place called Philippi. And so we call it the Philippians. And here it is. Uh, we're going to look at it together in Philippians 1, 3 to 6. And Paul writes this. And bear in mind that he's writing from a prison cell. So it's not a great circumstance and situation, but he writes to this church and he says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. What I love about Paul is that even though he was a go-getter and planted churches and wrote letters and, and people reckon that he had one of the biggest intellects of anybody who's ever lived on planet Earth, an incredible guy. But he says, I thank God for you, for people, so important. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then here's the good news. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Paul writes from prison that, listen, God, I am confident. And that word confident means I've been fully persuaded that the one I've placed my confidence in is trustworthy. That's what the word means. He says, I'm confident that he who began, and that word began or begun, it means God started it. And I want you to know, some of you are newer Christians with us and we love that. You know, and a couple of people have been to me this week after last week to say, one was a new Christian that said, God's really spoke to me and very new Christian about an attitude that I've got towards somebody and, and I need to put that right. And I just said, that's God. That's not me, that's God. You see, you cannot become a follower of Jesus without the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And whenever you get challenged, whenever you get convicted, that's not whoever's spoken. God may be using those words. That's the Holy Spirit in you. And so if God has begun a good work in you, the promise of God here is that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. And that word completion or complete literally means whole and perfect. That's the good news. Aren't you excited about that? God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. That's the good news. The goal for you, God's goal for you is not to keep you from something, but to make you into something, actually to make you into someone. And as we follow him, and as he transforms our mess, that we will be marked by two key characteristics, and they're these, maturity and security. God's goal for you and I as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus today, if you're not, then, then this is what's ahead for you if you want to accept it, is that we would be mature in Him and we would be secure in Him. And what that doesn't mean is that we won't have challenges and we, don't, we won't have worries and we won't have fears and we won't have doubts. But it will mean that over time, there is a growing sense of maturity and a growing sense of security. That's why Paul wrote in other parts of the Bible, um, you know, I'm praying earnestly until Christ is formed in you, that you would be fully mature, not lacking anything, that you would have the power together with all the saints to know how high and wide and deep and long is the love of God. 
that you would be mature and that you would be secure. The problem is in life, that life hits us at certain stages of our life, doesn't it? And certain stages give us certain challenges in life. Which is why when we invited Paul and Priscilla over, we said, could we do something really different with you? And so on the Saturday night, we've asked them if they'll do this, life lessons of faith for every age and stage. Now we don't do many Saturday night events, okay? But I wanna encourage you and invite you to come. Who is this for? Every single person. You see, Paul and Priscilla are that old They have navigated almost every age and stage bar one, okay? I won't even tell what that one is. But they've gone through it all, okay? And I think they've got something from God to bring us. So on that Saturday night, there's going to be some stripped back worship. We're going to interview Paul and Priscilla. Then they're going to bring uh, some content to us. And those of you that know Priscilla well know that she moves in the prophetic, uh, which basically, if you've never heard that word before, hearing from God for people. And I want to encourage you and invite you to be here on that night. If you've got small kids, try and get a babysitter. If you can't, then talk to us and we'll try and get someone for you. Because at every age and stage, there are challenges to God's completing the work He began in us. But at every age and stage, we can know God. So whether you're just setting out and going to college or uni, whether you, you, you know, you, you're just in a relationship or you're just married or you've just got your first kid or you, your kids are teenagers and doing your head in or your kids have left and you're empty nesters or you're approaching retirement or you're post-retirement, whatever age and stage you are, God wants you to follow Him. God wants you to have a dynamic relationship with Him because He wants to complete the work He has begun in you. So Saturday, February the 4th, I really want to encourage you to be here with us. And so because of this, our prayer should be this. Heavenly Father, complete the work you've begun in me. Why don't we say that out loud together? Heavenly Father, complete the work you've begun in me. But there's some bad news. There is a challenge to this. And it's not on God's side. And some of you will be saying, oh, I know what it is. It's the devil. And some of you are saying, no, it's not the devil. It's the boss. And some of you are saying, it's the same thing. The devil and my boss. And some of you are saying, no, it's not the boss. It's, 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 it's my family situation. That's the challenge to God completing the good work He began in me. Some of you are saying, oh, it's the economy or it's the situation or it's the circumstance. Let me tell you, the challenge to God completing the good work He began in you is none of those challenging though they are. The challenge is the face that you look at every day in the mirror. Because the challenge for all of us is the mess we won't address. The mess we won't address. And I want to dwell on this because it's really important. And I'm going to share some stuff with you that I've shared many times before in this church, but I just believe in this context, it's really important we go for it again. And it came to me a couple of weeks ago, I'm spending quite a little bit more time on trains going down to London for various meetings. And I love the train, love the tube. And often on a train or in a train station, you hear this kind of announcement come where you hear someone say, if you see a strange package, do the following three things. See it, say it, Sort it. See it, say it, sort it. If only life were that simple, wouldn't it be amazing? See it, say it, sort it. Hold on to that thought. We're going to come back to it in a while. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been, um, I hadn't planned to do this, but I've been sharing a little bit about our trip to Israel, um, which we had just a few months ago. 
And um, it's just happened that every Sunday that I've got to prepare the message, there's been something about Israel which has just seemed to drop in. And then I thought, I want to speak on the story that was recorded in a place that we went to in Jerusalem. And it was this place called the Pool of Bethesda. And these are, our, these are my photographs from the Pool of Bethesda. And the reason why this was such a powerful moment for many of us who went is because we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is where the story we're going to talk about actually happened. You see, sometimes when you go to Israel, you're not quite sure whether this is where Moses had a cappuccino or not. You're not quite sure. Do you know what I mean? Because it's a little bit like that. But actually, we know that it is true that this story that I'm about to read you and talk to you about actually happened here. And by the way, I know I've said this the last couple of weeks, if you're interested in going to Israel with us in November, we would love you to register interest. Go to our website, lifecentralchurch.org.uk, scroll down to the bottom, click on the button that says Israel, register your interest, no commitment, and when the costs and the itinerary come out, we'll communicate with you and then you can decide whether you want to come or not. But we're going to go to John chapter 5. Here's an amazing story at the Paul at Bethlehem. It says this, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now just hold that slide there, Nick, for me. Do you want to get well? What a crazy question. Let me just give you a little bit of background. Bethesda literally means the house of mercy or the house of grace. And in this place, which you saw the ruins of that we went to and gathered around, Lots and lots of people who had all kinds of conditions of illness and difficulty and disability would gather. Now, in the, the reading that I've given you, in the translation I used, verse 4 is missed out. Sometimes verse 4 is in in some of your translations, sometimes it's not. Verse 4 literally talks about um, kind of like a superstition thing about an angel coming and stirring the water. And if you got in first, then you'd be healed. And the idea was that this guy, whenever the water moved, would try and get in, but he couldn't. Everybody else got in ahead of him. And so he's in this condition for 38 years. And when it talks about invalid, there is a physical illness associated with that. But the original word also means condition or state of who he was. In other words, there's more to it than just a physical illness. And when Jesus says, do you want to get well? He's not just meaning healed, because that word literally means complete or whole or healthy. So in other words, I think even though this is a healing miracle around physical healing, and I'll talk about it in a minute, I think there's more to it than that. And I think that because why on earth would Jesus ask this man who's been in this condition for 38 years, do you want to get well? Of course, the answer is yes. And the answer is also no. And I think there's something really powerful about this question because the truth is this. You and I all have mess in our lives we won't address even though we say we want to. We say we want to be well, but actually we don't. Let me reframe the question. Do you want to lose weight? <laughs> in the room. Do you want to get out of debt? Do you want to break that habit of the cycles of destructive, dysfunctional relationships? Do you want to break that habit or that addiction in your life? 
most of us will say yes. But do we mean it? Or is it actually <laughs> like there's an accelerator and a brake that we press at exactly the right, the same time? And you know, because I've shared this before, that I read some research years ago, which absolutely staggered me. It was heart research about people who had heart disease. And, and these people were all told that unless they changed something about their life, like the way they ate or what they drank or smoking, exercise, whatever, if they didn't change the way they lived their life, they would die. How many of them changed? One out of seven. Do you want to get well? Yes! but only one out of seven were prepared to change. Why is that? And again, I'm not judging because I know the stuff in my life because I know a mess when I see one because I am one. But why is that? And I hit on this many, many years ago and it stuck with me and I, and I want to share it with you. Maybe even for one person today, it will be worth it. Because let, let, let me use an example. I want to get out of debt. That's what I want to do. But what do I do or don't do that feeds against that? Well, I want to get out of debt, but I just keep buying things that I don't really need, but I want them. And so what we do is we oscillate or we, or we go between, this is what I want, I want to get out of debt, but I keep spending money that I don't have and I keep getting more into debt. And we keep going between that and that. What we don't do is we don't go deeper. I want to get out of debt, but I keep spending on stuff I don't need with money I haven't got. The other question is, let's go deeper. Why do you do that? Why do you do that? And I think that's the question Jesus is asking when he says to this man, do you want to get well? Because Jesus knows that maybe deep down, he doesn't. Maybe this man after 38 years has got so used to his situation, so comfortable and so familiar, he wouldn't know who he was if he didn't have that situation any longer. Maybe there's some fear about what will happen in the future. Maybe there's the cost that will come to it when that situation changes. I don't know what it is, but there's something holding him in that condition and Jesus knows it. So he says, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? You know, change is hard, isn't it? Change is really hard. Even good change that we want is really hard. And change is costly because change always requires the death of something in order that you would gain the life of something else. When you and I want to change, and I'm speaking to people today and I, I, I can't say this passionately enough. If you are in a life controlling habit or addiction right now, listen, I've never been in one of those. I've got my own messes and my own stuff. I know that. So, so I know enough to know it's really hard and I want you to hear this right. We've got to want to get well or nothing will change. And that means a death of something in order that you could have a life to something else. I love this quote that I read. It's not a Christian book. It's a book called Flight of the Buffalo. Change is hard because most people overestimate the value of what they'll be giving up and underestimate the value of what they might be gaining. I'll tell you what, freedom, freedom from these things, freedom from the chains of addiction, freedom from the chains of habit, freedom from the chains of cycles of destructive relationships is worth the death of all of that stuff. It's worth the death of the comfort and the cost and the change and the fear. It's worth you going through all of that for what's on the other side. 
And you know, Jesus often uh, met people who wouldn't address the mess in their life. The rich young ruler who came to him and said, what must I do to have eternal life? And, and, and Jesus talked to him about obeying the law and he did that. But then Jesus knew that this guy was attached to wealth. Okay, and he said to him, give up everything you've got and follow me. And he couldn't and he wouldn't and he walked away and Jesus looked at him sad. Or there was Judas who, who wouldn't address the mess in his life and Obviously, we know what happened to him. And there were countless other people. And Jesus confronted them with the question, do you want to get well? Do you really want to get well? Or do you just say you do, but actually you don't? When we were at the pool at Bethesda, um, everyone was together, 120 of us, and I shared some of these thoughts uh, with everybody. And then we, we walked around. And as we walked around, an American lady who was in the American group came up to me and she thanked me for what I said and then started to talk about her son who is in a life controlling addiction situation. And as she started to talk, she broke down in tears. And she says, I've realised today, this is the truth of what's happening. He doesn't want to get well. And it was heartbreaking. And we've been in touch by email since. And I prayed for her and for the son and for the family. But the reality is, guys, there's mess in your life and in my life that we won't address. That's the bad news. But... We're going to finish with good news. How many of you are glad about that? There is a way that we can address the mess, even the mess that we won't address. Let me take you back to the train. See it, say it, sort it. And as I thought about this, this just all came to me. I thought, see it is about visibility. If you don't see it, there's no way it's going to get sorted. There's no way it's going to get addressed. And say it is about giving it clarity. You see, what you and I do is we often hide and when we hide or pretend or deny or ignore, when we never bring it into visibility, we never say it, we never give it clarity, eventually we have to sort it, which is about taking responsibility. And I'm so glad that we don't have to sort it on our own because Jesus is the one who breaks the chains. Amen. Jesus is the one who sets the captive free. Jesus is the one who wants to transform our mess into a message, who wants to rewrite the story that's been written in our lives, responsibility. But if we won't name, we won't ever, if we won't tame, sorry, sorry, it went too quick for me. We won't tame what we won't name. And that's the truth. If we don't see it, if we don't say it, we'll never sort it because we won't tame what we won't name. And so today, I want to invite you <laughs> and challenge you to name some of the mess in your life, and I've got mine, loads of it, that maybe you won't address or that you wouldn't address. And maybe Jesus, by His Spirit, has challenged you today and is inviting you today to address the mess that you won't address. But when we see it and we say it and we invite God in by His Spirit, maybe then we have a chance of addressing that mess. You see, what we do is we bring it and we surrender it. And we've sung already today that we will make room for God. We will do, what did we sing? Whatever you want. You do whatever you want to is what we sang. But we don't really mean that, do we? So break that addiction. If you are gripped by addiction, porn, alcohol, overeating, shopping crazily for stuff you don't really need with money you don't have, 
cycles of dysfunctional, destructive relationships, gossip, whatever it is, then you are gripped by that. Jesus wants you to surrender it. He wants you to see it. He wants you to say it and with his help to sort it in Jesus' name. After we'd walked around the pool at Bethesda and after this interaction with this lady, which will stay in my mind for a long time, we then went into the church at St. Anne's, which is right by the pool at Bethesda, which is the most amazing church with the most incredible acoustics I've ever heard in my life. And all, 120 of us went in and we just sang. And, we sat, and it was holy. But here's the truth. Holy ground isn't just when you're in a beautiful cathedral with music and with sound. That isn't what holy ground is. Holy ground is when you and I do business with God. Holy ground is when we invite Jesus to transform our mess into a message. When we allow Him to address the mess that we won't or wouldn't address, that place becomes holy ground. When I catch myself before I speak badly to someone, that becomes holy ground. When I ask for forgiveness, when I've hurt and wounded someone, that becomes holy ground. When I say, God, would you help me? You know, I've got this kind of mess in my life and I don't want, I've seen it and I wanna say it and I wanna sort it. That becomes holy ground. And Jesus breaks chains when you and I get serious with holy ground. So I wanna invite you and in all of our locations and online as well, Right now in this place, we are about to sing a song called Holy Ground. And it says, here as we wait, as we seek your face. And it's an invitation for God to come and break chains and set us free. And I wanna pray for you today. And I'm gonna ask you to do something really brave, that if there's mess in your life that you know you won't address, and today God has spoken to you, I wanna ask you to stand to your feet right where you are. And in our locations as well, I wanna invite you to stand. And I wanna pray for you today in Jesus' Name. So if that's you, then I wanna encourage you and invite you to stand. I know this is really hard, but I'm inviting you to stand. Thank you. It doesn't have to be a mess that I've mentioned. It can be something else and you know there's mess and you just won't address it. I wanna invite you to stand and I wanna pray. And I'm gonna wait and pause. I'm gonna say in Hagley and Rowley, this is true there in Clibbery and Bromsgrove online as well. God, I wanna thank you for these people who are being brave today. And God, I pray for them holy ground in Jesus' Name, holy ground. Fill them, touch them, transform them. Begin the process of change and transformation. Lord, if they need to talk to others about it, if they need to get accountability, if they need to do something, God, give them the courage to do that, not just to hear it in this moment when the music's playing, but to do something about it when they go. And God, meet them in the mess. In Jesus' Name I pray. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you all to stand now, wherever you are, in whatever our location. And I'm going to push the boat out a little bit more this morning as well. This guy... Didn't, we don't know about what was really going on. This guy definitely had a sickness, a physical sickness. I think there was more than that, and that's what I've addressed. But at face value, surface level, if you like, this was about Jesus healing a man who was physically sick. 
In this church, we believe that God heals, okay, physically. Now, now we know that there are lots of questions to that. Sometimes He doesn't in the way that we want Him to. And I don't know the answers to all that. I had this conversation with somebody yesterday. We had an Israel reunion and a, a, lot, a bunch of people that came on the trip. And I had this conversation, three ladies on our, on our group had lost children, all in very tragic circumstances, sons at very young ages. I don't know the answers to a lot of those questions. In fact, all of those questions, I don't know. But I know God heals. And I know God is a God of compassion and love. And so what I want to do is if you are sick today, if you have a sickness, maybe a physical sickness, maybe an emotional or a mental sickness, we want to pray for you. And we don't do this very often at all these days, just because of the dynamics of where we are and online. But we want to invite you and I want to invite you to come and to stand at the front, okay? And while we sing, we want to come and pray for you. And we want to come and pray that God would meet you and that God would heal you. And that would become a place of holy ground. So as we begin to sing, I want to just invite you to come and right where you are in location, maybe come and stand at the front and the guys and girls there will come and gather around you and pray for you. And if you're online, why don't you ask for prayer online? Someone will put a link in the chat right now and then our prayer team will get on it and we will pray for you like we do every single week. So while we sing, I wanna invite you, if you have any sickness of any kind, physical, emotional, mental, and you know that you need God to heal you, then we wanna invite you to come right now and just come uh, as we begin to sing. <laughs> 